Um, if I haven't met you, my name is Jake, um, and I'm super honored, privileged to be here and to be speaking to you today. Even more than that, I'm incredibly blessed and honored to be able to, um, to lead and pastor here at Finding Life Church. Um, if you're new with us, we're a church that's about a little over seven and a half years old, um, planted in 2009-ish, something like that, does that add up? Yeah, something like that. Um, and we've had kind of like a tumultuous seven and a half years as a community. Um, but one of the coolest things about uh, this community, what I've grown to love most about it is um, it's the way that we are, are passionate about focus, about focusing in on what matters most, on what, on what we really care about. And, and kind of uh, like throughout our lives and, and history as a church, there's always opportunities to find ourselves like moving in different directions. And there's different things that oftentimes we're like, well, that sounds good. Maybe we should chase that. But I've always been really um, blessed by the reality that when, when I come into a place like this and say, hey, I think our eyes are off the ball a little bit. Let's refocus. There's always just like a collective, yeah, let's do it. I'm excited. And so this series that we're in right now, In Focus, is really about that. Um, if you didn't know this, I was gone away for three months um, on a sabbatical and, and came back. And, and while I was away, I was kind of like, God, what do you want to do? I should have some sort of like, you know, revolutionary um, awakening to what the, the future of Finding Life Church is. And, and throughout that three months, I never really felt like there was this like magic button, which is probably because there's no magic button, right? Um, but I did sense uh, that God was saying, hey, who you are, how you're living, what, what this community exists for is really, really awesome. Um, I think that maybe we've just lost some focus on what those things are. And so that's what this series has been about. And so we dove in the last couple of weeks I'm talking about this big picture concept of the kingdom. Um, how do we remain faithful to the heart of God for his church and adapt, um, and, and adapt what we do to continue to bridge the gap between God and an ever-shifting culture? This is a question that I think is really important for all of us to look at, to think about. And that, like at face value, maybe sounds like kind of scary. Wait, Jake, did you just say change to, to, to fit culture? Um, and I want to clarify that really quick. I didn't say change who we are. I said change what we do. So then the important thing for us as people who, are, who desire to see the kingdom come on earth, to become people, um, a community that lives out the heart of God, um, even bringing heaven, a slice of heaven, or, or a picture, a window of heaven right here into the midst of, of the everyday moments of our lives, of people's lives, as we, as we um, exist to do that, how do we do that in a way that we can engage a shifting culture all the time. Um, because God is, God is moving, and he wants to use us to continue to move through the lives of people everywhere. So then the issue becomes, what is our mission? What is our purpose? Because the mission, the purpose of the church, it doesn't change because it wasn't set by us. We don't get to be creative about the mission of the church because it's not our church. It's his. And so we focus in on what he wants, and we're clear on that, and the mission um, that we're on together drives the heartbeat of a church and how we go about seeing, uh, operating within that mission and living within that mission, what we do within that mission is something we can be totally creative about. And so this series is really about that. Um, we're shifting today. On the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about the kingdom. And, and my hope and prayer is that you've had a chance to get like a little bit of an insight or, or more clarity on what this idea of the kingdom means, right? When Jesus um, is talking to his disciples and he says, pray like this. Uh, may your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's this challenge to, to recognize that, that Jesus lived his life bringing heaven here. And so often as human beings, as Christians, we want to like sort of wait. Um, something better is coming for us, which is true. But 
In the meantime, God is saying to us, your mission, your job is to bring heaven here into the lives of people that we work and live and play with in powerful ways. And, and my hope is that even this week you began to see um, some of these opportunities. We're talking about how, how God gives us opportunities to create kingdom spaces in our lives. When we shine light into darkness, into, into hard things, even the simple, the simple life situations. And maybe you started to notice them. Uh, maybe you saw like opportunities where you could be a kingdom um, creator in those moments. My wife and I were driving um, to a class that we're taking together on Tuesday. We're driving down, I think it was Pacific, and we were late as we usually are. Um, so I'm driving really fast, and we, we drive by a guy that's like um, broken down. He's literally in the, in the middle of the intersection um, but off, not the main street, but off one of the side streets. And we see him, he's like changing his tire, and Amory goes, oh, that's really sad, and I kept driving. And, and as we drove by, I thought to myself, man, I could flip a U-turn, it'd be so easy. And I kept driving. And, and as I kept on driving, I was like, should I go back? We will be really super late. We drove all the way to class, we went to class, we forgot about that guy. Um, I felt like, I feel like I come into those kinds of situations a lot, um, but for, for the first time in a while, I, I realized, man, this was, this was an opportunity that I might have had to bring the kingdom. And last week we talked about how the kingdom takes time. It takes our time investment. It takes us choosing to be willing to, to, like Jesus, to take time for people to look them in the face, to put aside what we want, our agenda, to be kingdom space creators. The coolest thing about the kingdom is that around every corner there is another opportunity. We blew that. I blew that. It was my fault. That was a chance that I had. And you know, I don't know the guy. I don't know what's going on in his situation. But in that moment, God was, was, was talking to my heart and saying, hey, that's an opportunity to be a kingdom space creator. You don't know what he's going through. You know what's going on in his life. I could have pulled up and be like, what are you doing? Go away. I didn't know that. All I knew is that in that moment, the Holy Spirit was creating that space for me. And I can live into those moments and take time for people not with any agenda except to specifically love and care about and show value to people. And in those moments, moments like that, the kingdom shows up here. The beautiful reality is the very next night, Amory and I were um, at Upstream, which is our regular date night place. And, and we've, spent, um, we've spent like every Wednesday night there, it seems like other than being on vacation, for like the last year and a half. And we have the same guy um, who waits on us every single week. Um, I'm even like hesitant to to tell this story, because what if he listens to my sermon? Um, but we were praying for him like crazy and, and, um, and asking God to use us in different ways. And we've had moments like this with him at the table um, where he's opened up to, to us. He shared with us this, uh, a couple weeks ago that he's engaged. Um, and Amory, like out of nowhere, goes, well, he's a pastor. You should have him do your wedding. And it was just like super awkward, kind of like, okay, I'm going to leave now, Right. But then he came to us on Wednesday, and he's like, hey, you know, I think I might want to take you up on that offer. And I don't hardly know this guy at all. And he doesn't really know us at all. We spend an hour and a half together every Wednesday night. Um, but we've chosen to be people in that kingdom space um, that shows him the grace, the power, the love of God, no agenda. He doesn't know that we're doing that because we're really just, we're just caring. Um, that's what it means to create these kingdom spaces. Um, this is what it's all about. This is who we want to be. Um, this is who Jesus was. And so we choose to lean into this concept of the kingdom for the sake of, of recognizing that it is what God is up to 
And it answers that question for us as we focus in. This is what God is doing in the world. It's what he has been doing in the world for a very, very long time. And my prayer is that you begin to see how God wants to use you in in creating those kingdom spaces. But that begs another question for us today. Like, who are we supposed to be in those kingdom spaces? What is my job? What is my role? What authority do I have? Right, I've been telling these stories about Jesus interacting with people and, and healing people and, and, and speaking directly to people's hearts and doing all these really crazy cool things. Well, yeah, he's Jesus. Of course he speaks with an authority that's like super powerful. Well, what about me? Why would God choose me? What am I supposed to do? What authority do I actually have? What abilities do I have? Is there some sort of like kingdom space training I can go through? That's the way we think, isn't it? Because the idea of being in those moments, it's scary a little bit. Um, and this morning, I want to, to, to move into addressing, addressing that. What does that mean? What does that look like? Who are we? And this is kind of an identity morning. The kingdom is about what God's doing in the world. And who are we in the midst of that? What is our identity? If you have your outline, you can get it out. Um, our truth for the morning is I am a priest, which is maybe like the scariest, most like unaccessible truth I have ever had for you on a Sunday morning. So before you go running for the door, um, I promise... Um, it's not as scary as it sounds. But I just want to read real quick from Isaiah chapter 61, verses 6. This is God describing his people. He says this, but you will be called the the priests of the Lord. You will be spoken of as ministers of our God. You and I are priests. I am a priest. All of us who have chosen to place our faith in Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior, the, the, the Bible calls us priests. And I know that that word like comes with a lot of baggage and it probably has, it comes with like some definitions that are probably different from different people in this room depending on your upbringing, depending on your church background. Um, but this is simply what God is calling us. Um, here's the simple reality, the role God has for you and for me in his story of redeeming, restoring this world is absolutely huge. You think about a priest, you think, well man, that's the top dog. That's the closest guy to God, Right? Like, nobody's closer to God than a priest. And I think the language being used here is important for us to connect with a simple reality this morning. The role God has for you is huge. It's monumental. It's massive. And, and maybe a little bit I want you to feel the weight of that this morning. It reminds me of being in the hospital when our oldest, Sadie, was born. And we were like 15 years old or something like that. Not really. We were like 19 and 20, 20, 21. Anyway, young, like way too young to be getting married and and way too young um, to be having our first child. But we're in the hospital. I remember it being sort of like this surreal, like, you know, overnight in the hospital. The nurses are right there. You, you know, push the button when anything goes wrong and they rush in and they take them when you want to sleep. And it's just like the cry is so tiny and it's like, it's blissful, right? It's fun. It's like, this is so cool. And then I remember even more vividly the first night that we were home in our tiny little apartment, and Anne-Marie is sleeping because I'm being Superman husband and taking care of this baby that won't sleep, um, and she's just up, and I'm, I'm sitting there, and I'm looking at her, and she's tiny, um, and I remember this, this feeling that, like, sunk in, like, I am completely alone. <laughs> like, there is nobody here. There's no nurse button to push if I don't know what to do, and trust me, I don't know what to do, Okay. Um, and I'm thinking, man, if I could just keep this kid alive till morning, I'm like, that's success, right? And, and I'm just over and over in the back of my mind going, what am I going to do? And it was very much this like, 
the weight of being a father was on my shoulders. And going into that, I had no idea what that would mean. I had no idea what it would look like, and I had no idea what I was doing. This is kind of the way I want to make you feel this morning. Because the role that God has for you in his story, the identity that he wants you and me to embrace in his story, his redemption story in this world, it comes with that kind of weight. It's that big of a deal. No one else was going to be my daughter's father. No one else could do that. I was the one who had to do it. And it didn't matter if I knew how. It didn't matter if I even wanted to at that point. This was the job that was on my shoulders, squarely. And I could ask some people for help. But ultimately, it was up to me. And that's the way I want us to feel. It's the way I want us to connect with this, uh, this understanding of a priesthood. I think that God calls us priests because he wants us to feel the weight of this reality. We are God's chosen people. God chose you and he chose me to be his representative, to point people to him, to make a way through the dry and weary land. And there is no plan B. The Western American church has tricked us into believing that this is where, this is where the magic happens. This is where God shows up. This is where God changes lives. This is where the gospel is powerful. And guess what? It's not. It's powerful in you. It's powerful in me, in my stories, which we're going to get to in a minute. Um, but I want to I take a few minutes and, and help you connect with where this concept comes from. So if you have your Bible, you can open up to Exodus chapter 19. This is an old like, identifying trait of the church. This idea of priests is an old, old thing. And so as you turn there, um, we're gonna, I want to... like catch you up here real quick, okay? If you were with us, like, um, earlier this year, we went through this series called Thread of Hope, and Exodus is one of the books that we were looking at. Um, but anyway, what's happening in the world at this time is that God um, showed back up on the scene after Adam and Eve and the whole creation thing, and people were a train wreck, and then the Noah thing happened, the flood, and, and, and God is distant from people. And there's this guy named Abraham and God comes to Abraham essentially with this plan to restore, to redeem the world. I love this creation. I love these people. I want to redeem them. I want to restore them. And I want to do it through you and through your descendants. His name was Abraham. Okay, and so there's this, this long story about the people of God. And maybe you know the story of, of the Israelites in Egypt, right, with Pharaoh and the Red Sea getting parted. I mean, if you've been to church even like two or three times or Sunday school, you've probably heard that story. Um, but it's a story of God delivering his people uh, from from Egypt. So this is shortly after that, the people of God have come out of Egypt, all these cool things have happened, um, and, he, and God has sort of begun this interesting relationship with his people. Uh, they are kind of a train wreck. Um, he's like taking care of them, protecting them, doing everything he can, and he's just asking, will you just trust me? And they just can't do it. It's like a total mess. Um, and it's kind of in this context that this, this uh, Exodus chapter 19 is happening. So Moses um, is their leader, and he's the one who talks to God, right? It's sort of that priest idea. He talks to God, and then, they, and then um, he talks to the people. The people talk back to Moses, and Moses goes back and talks to God. It's this really interesting deal. Okay, so in this scene, in, in chapter 19, um, Moses is talking to God, and God wants to set up this, like, deal. He wants to set up a, a covenant or, like, make a deal, strike a deal with the Israelite people between he and he and, the, and his people, and it starts in, in verse 1. It says, in the third month, after the sons of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that, on that very day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. When they set out from, don't worry about the names, they came to the wilderness of Sinai and camped in the wilderness, and there Israel camped in front of the mountain. 
Moses, verse 3, Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus thus shall you say to the house of Jacob and tell the sons of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and said before them all these words which the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will come to you in a thick cloud so that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe in you forever. Then Moses told the words of the people to the Lord. Okay? So catch what's going on in this scene. Okay? Moses is up on a mountain. He's talking to God. God says a bunch of stuff. I like these people. I want them to be my people. But they have to obey me. They got to do what I tell them. Go tell them that. See what they say. So Moses runs down the mountain, and he gets all the people together. He says, all right, here's the deal. God loves you. He wants you to be his people. He's got big plans for your life, but you got to obey. They go, all right. Moses goes, okay, runs back up to the mountain and says, God, they said yes. Great. This covenant starts. Okay, so this is what's actually going on in this scene. And, and so get a picture of it. Moses is kind of this go-between, but something happens. Something shifts and changes in their relationship through this covenant. Because God uses some describing words for these people that he's never used before. He calls them a nation of priests, a kingdom of priests. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, it says in verse 6. In this verse, this sentence, this incomplete sentence, God is setting the identity for his people forever. And this identity was meant to not only tell them who they are, but also who he wanted them to be and how he wanted to live. Even bigger than that, It sets the identity for the church and clarifies its mission all at once. In this this tiny little sentence. And I don't think these people really knew what they were signing up for. In a lot of ways, I think it's kind of like, you know, like when a young couple gets married and they make these big, like, you know, covenant vows. I only know this because I did this. Um, And they, they make all these huge statements of commitment and they have no clue what they're doing. Right? That was me. I mean, if you just saw Emery and I, like, stand, you'd be like, don't do it. You can't do it. This is crazy. And this is kind of like where the people are at. They don't even, like, really think twice. It's just like, yeah, that sounds good. No clue what it actually means. But God is proposing this deal. And it's really fairly simple. Um, obey me, trust me, worship only me, and I am going to make you a people for my own possession. In other words, you're going to be like, you're going to be my people. That's a, that's a big deal. This is a big thing that's happening. And what the Israelite people miss is the shift in their relationship. Because the bottom line is when a covenant relationship begins, everything changes. Right? You know that. You know that. When you make a deal, there's terms. And if you break the terms of that deal, the deal's off. Right? And so this new relationship that's begun, it's created these new terms. But what I want you to connect with most is what God is doing in this moment. What he's doing with these people. What he's saying about how he wants his people to be identified. He wants each one of them to know and be clear about their role in his story. And so he uses this phrase, this, this word priest. 
He uses this word priest. This, this is the Israelite people in this deal. They're saying, yes, we want it. It's real simple. If you do this, I will do this. This is the essence of any deal. If we do this, obey. I will do that. You will be my people. So here we are, a nation of priests, newly married, clueless but excited, but why? What does this really mean? What are we supposed to do with it? How do we live up to our end of the deal? If you have questions about why um, an identifier or like a descriptor of a group of people that lived a long, long time ago in another part of the country applies to us today, um, send me an email or something. You can just trust me for now because I don't have time to dig into that. But this, as we listen to God talk to his people this way, we are included in that. And there's, like, I can flesh that out with you if you're really interested. But for now, this applies to us. I'll just leave it at that for right now. Um, but I want to spend some time, the remainder of this morning, sort of fleshing that out. What does this look like? What does it mean to be a priest in the world? And, and my guess is it's not exactly the same thing as, as what you're used to. I'm going to talk more about this next week and put even more flesh on it. But I really want you to understand this concept because it, it begins with, with identity. It begins with understanding who we are. It's what defines us. And there's this there's this, this incredibly cool passage in 1 Peter, if you've got your Bible, flip over to it, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. This is the New Testament now, but it's echoing the same sentiment that we heard Moses talking to, with God and to the people about. It's the same thing. He says this, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. This is for you and for me. He's using words that come like straight out of the mouth of God way back in Exodus, and he's using them to talk to people like in this, in this current, like when this is being written, to these modern day new Christians. This is who you are. And this is why you're this. And this is what you need to do with it. So we dive into your outline. Go ahead and take a look. Um, it's on the back if you want to follow along. This, this verse is just loaded with incredibly cool things, life-changing things. Last night I was up to like 1 o'clock in the morning uh, around my campfire, and I was just praying. I was praying for you, and I think I probably prayed for almost every single one of you by name. I may have missed a few. But here, here's the thing. I genuinely believe that this is, it is the most important concept for us in the church to understand and to connect with. And our lack of understanding and awareness of Awareness of this is the reason that the church in America is in decline, like massive decline. Why millennials don't want anything to do with the church. Why the church is, is across the board declining and really failing at the mission that God set us on. It's because we decided instead of grabbing a hold of this concept, the priesthood of every single follower of Jesus. I am a priest. Instead of, instead of embracing that, we said, nah, let's just hire somebody to do that for us. Well, somebody else can do that. I'll just show up. I'll just kind of, I'll sit in the seats. I might bring my friend to see the professional religious guy do his thing. And it became kind of a nice deal somewhere along the lines because you doing that makes me feel valuable, makes me feel successful. So the cycle just perpetuates itself. I make you comfortable. You make me feel valuable. We're good to go. Meanwhile, the church is impotent. It's useless. It's failing miserably. And I think this is why. And so I sat up and I prayed. I prayed that this would not just be like, like a, a nice concept 
but that God would stir in your soul, in your heart, and help you not only recognize and connect with this, like what an honor it is that God chose you for this, but then to begin to explore, what does that mean? What does that mean about the way I choose to live my life? So let's dive in. Here's some things that I want you to understand. Number one on your outline, it's simple from 1 Peter 2, 9. It's connecting with the reality that you are chosen. I am chosen. This is a, a really simple sentence, but it has so much weight behind it. Um, God has set you apart, right? You are a chosen race, it says. God gave you a role, a royal priesthood. He has identified himself with you, my own possession. This is what it means to be chosen. Like, this is like utmost value. I don't understand. I don't get it. This doesn't make any sense, like why God would choose me, why God would choose you. No, you aren't, you aren't worthy of it. You aren't good enough for it. Neither am I. There isn't a person who is, but that doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. This was God's plan for restoring the world to himself. He chose you. He wants you. And that choice came with, with an identification as a chosen race, the royal priesthood, his very own possession. Cool realities. Here's what it looks like. This is Paul talking and essentially expressing exactly what I'm talking about right here in this moment. Romans 15. See, Paul embraced. He embraced this concept of the priesthood. Okay, it says this, but I have written very boldly to you on some points so as to remind you again because of the grace that was given me from God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, ministering as a priest the gospel of God. This isn't a positional like thing. He's not saying, I'm a priest. That's my job. That's my role. He's saying, this is who I am. This is what I minister out of, an awareness that I am the gospel. I am the mission of Jesus. I am called. I am chosen. I've been identified with him. He's given me a story to tell. He's positioned me to tell it so that I can be a priest, a kingdom, be part of this kingdom of priests in the world. I am chosen, and Paul gets it. The question is, do you? Do you get the urgency of it, the power, the potential behind it? We have to connect with this. Number two, I'm, a ch I'm chosen to bridge the gap between God and the world. I'm in love with this illustration. Um, the priesthood being like a bridge. And I'm in love with it so much that like somehow I like made up in my own mind and then convinced myself that it was true that like the actual Hebrew translation of the word priest is bridge. So I'm sorry if there's anyone in here that I told that to because it doesn't mean that at all. But I had this really fun interaction with my, um, with my uh, Old Testament professor this week when I asked him, so maybe I was crazy, and, and I didn't actually hear you say this, but I thought you said, and he's like, I'm going to go with crazy on this one because I never said that. And so I said, well, what does it mean? And he said this. He said, priest, you're going to laugh, but priest literally means a person who acts like a priest in the original language. So I'm like, well, that doesn't seem very helpful at all. And then I step back for a minute, and I recognize, wait a minute, it does mean something. A priest is someone who acts like a priest. So what does a priest do? And this is where this bridge example comes back in. Because even in our story in Exodus chapter 19, we're watching Moses, what, intercede between people and God, right, to help set up this covenant. And if you read all of Exodus, you'll see that if those people go up to the mountain, they're going to die. So Moses is literally bridging the gap between his people and a holy God. 
right? He's going back and forth, and he's setting these covenants up. And without him, it doesn't work. He's helping them enter relationship with God. Well, when this new statement is made about the people, the priesthood, everything changes. And Jesus has something to say about that as well. Everything changes. We have free access to God. But this bridge illustration is still so incredibly powerful. A priest's job is to bridge the gap between God and the world. Now, we do it differently than probably what we're used to seeing or used to understanding. See, a bridge, a bridge gets walked on, right? Um, when someone gets to the other side of a bridge, they don't turn around and say, hey, thanks, bridge, for not falling. It's a thankless job. Um, when people are walking on a bridge, they don't even oftentimes know that they are. Right? A bridge is a servant. A, a, bri a priest is a servant. It's, it's a person who recognizes, I want to use my life and everything in it to help people experience the power of relationship with God. Whatever I can do, anything I can do, um, it's a powerful reality to embrace. A priest in religious circles is known as the one who goes between people and God. They bridge the holiness gap. But Jesus came and he changed that and he made that our, our ministry. Our, we have the ability to do that. Hebrews 4, 15 to 16. This high priest of ours, talking about Jesus, understands our weakness for he faced all of them the same, uh, all of them the same testing as we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God there we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Do you hear what's going on there? Jesus, again, priest language, right? Why was he used as, why was this priest language used for him? Because what he's doing is he's bringing people together with God. He made a way. His cross gave us access, full access to God. And as we live our lives as priests in our world, our job is to show people they have access to God, not say to them, you need me to get to God. You have access to God. He wants you. He wants you to be a people of his own possession. He loves you that much. Jesus was our priest, our bridge, so that we could have perfect relationship with God. Now God is calling us to be that bridge for those who are far from him. A bridge connects people. A bridge gets walked on. A bridge isn't asking what's in it for me. This is what I love about this illustration in my mind. A bridge is the perfect description of the way that we live our lives in these sacred spaces. A bridge doesn't have an agenda other than to do whatever it takes. Whatever it takes to allow people to have access from point A to point B. So our kingdom spaces become bridges to the holiness of God, to the power of God, to the grace of God. The key, though, is in point number three, my life and the way I choose to live it is that bridge. First Peter 2, 9 again. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. So that, so that, why are we those things? That's what this verse is saying. Why did God identify us like that? It's so that we can proclaim his excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. This is the best way that you can become a bridge to the grace, mercy, and power of God is simply by living in that grace that he has given you. It's your story that's powerful. It's not coercion or trying to change that makes the difference. It's choosing to be a kingdom space builder and then within that space seeing yourself as the bridge that God would have people walk on to get to him and you are, most, are his most important tool. He doesn't have a plan B. It's your life. 
that God wants to use. And the first step toward becoming usable is to embrace your identity as, as a priest, as a bridge. Like, don't go walking around calling yourself a priest. That would be weird and very misunderstood. But we embrace this understanding that I, God picked me. And so as we, as we go into the world, as we live in the world, and, and we identify these kingdom spaces where God, we could show people, shine light, the light of heaven into the brokenness of our world. Who are we within these spaces? We, we stop and we recognize I'm actually powerful. I'm not just here to like be nice and compassionate. Yes, that's what I'm being. But it's more than that because the gospel is life-changing. It's hope-giving. It's, it's powerful. And it's your life. It's your story. Um, I'm going to read from uh, 1 Peter 2.5 and just want you to spend a few minutes reflecting on what it means. The band's going to come back up and um, we're going to start playing. But I want us to get, I want us to connect in a, a slightly deeper way this morning with what this means. Um, do you want this identity as a priest? Do you know that life with Jesus comes with it? It's not whether or not you are, it's whether or not you choose to live in his power. That's what it really comes down to. If you have said yes to Jesus, if you've given your heart to God, if you said, I want to follow you, then this like role, this title, like it came with the territory. Like you didn't choose, you didn't choose that specifically, but it automatically comes with the deal. This is who you are. And the question is, do you want to embrace its reality and begin living in it, begin walking in it? Begin grabbing hold of its power in your life and the freedom that it can create and the purpose that it potentially has. 1 Peter 2, 5 says this, You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ. He's called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And as a priest, then your job, my job, is to point, is to point to the reality of God's power. To live in the grace that he's lavished on us. To use our story of being brought out of darkness into his marvelous light. To show people what God is like. And be a bridge so they have free access to him. Um, so I just want to take a few minutes. I just want you to think about this. I don't know how it makes you feel. It's okay to feel whatever you want to feel. I don't want to try to control it. Maybe that sounds really, really intimidating. Um, maybe you're like, I don't even really understand it, so whatever. Um, I, I don't care. Feel whatever you want to feel, but I do want you to connect with the reality that this is, this is what identifies you. This is, this is life with God. This is the mission of the church. And as we focus in on what he is doing in our world and how he's called us to live in it. We have an opportunity. I think we have an opportunity to embrace something that few ever have. And what I'm most excited to show you, and I will in the coming weeks, is how easy it is. You don't have to change much. You're already equipped. We don't have to change people. We simply live our lives loving, embracing our new identity, and walking in the power that it offers us and showing other people the same thing. So take a few minutes, just in the silence of this moment, um, do you want to embrace this new identity? And if so, what does that look like? What does that mean in your own life? We'll sing in just a minute.